0: hello everyone welcome to lauren.live the spirituality health and lifestyle podcast i have dr Eben alexander with me today how are you
1: i'm doing great lauren how are you
0: i'm fantastic this is so amazing for me to have you on the show is just speaking with um, Evan, a few minutes ago before we started. And I actually read his book, Proof of Heaven, years ago. And it's pretty cool to come full circle now to have him on the show. I never would have imagined that I'd be speaking with you. So I feel very fortunate. And I, like we said, I think things are meant to happen and we are probably meant to connect and share your story. So thank you for being here. I'm very grateful.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. And uh, as we were saying, I do not believe there are accidents. I think. Uh, uh, you know, coincidences are really synchronicities, as Carl Jung pointed out, and they're very important in helping us to figure out who we are and what our relationship with the universe is.
0: I agree 100%. Um, I know we have um, just a, a hard stop. You've got a busy life, so I want to get rolling. Um, Eben has a really amazing and interesting story. Um, I'll let him tell uh, Tell it in detail, but he, you know, from the book "Proof of Heaven," um, he he got a, a really um, crazy and rare um, illness, and he'll go into it. It um, went into a coma, had a near-death experience, and had incredible states of awareness that he's going to share with us today. And um, it, it significantly opened my eyes. And I, I too believe there's just so much more than what the eyes can say here on planet Earth. So I'd love for you to just give give your story and um, what you learned from that and how it's changed your life. And we can speak about your two other books as well. And we'll just, we'll see where conversation flows.
1: All right. Well, that sounds great. I think it's important to point out that I grew up in a scientific family. My uh, father and I was adopted. So my adoptive father was uh, absolutely crucial in my life. He was a globally renowned neurosurgeon. I followed in his footsteps. Uh, I, he was also... Um, quite religious. He'd been a combat surgeon in the second world war in the Pacific and the Guinea, the Philippines, and then up into Japan. And I still have his little pocket Bible that he carried with him that whole time. And I think that was a huge part of his coming out of that horrific, uh, adventure in the war, uh, relatively unscathed. And he came back to this country and then ended up heading up a neurosurgical training program, um, in North Carolina and, um uh, as I said, it was very influential to me, his, um, you know, for him, his belief in God and the belief in the power of prayer uh, never conflicted in any way with all of his knowledge of science. And he was very, very scientifically knowledgeable. And, uh, but for me, I struggle like many, you know, I grew up in a Methodist church in North Carolina wanted to believe all that I heard, but then in my career in, in neurosurgery, over decades, wondered how in the world can conscious awareness survive the death of the uh, body and brain. And of course, I succumbed to the myth that so many do in our modern materialist culture that believes only the physical world exists. So that's why I needed a wake-up call. And that's exactly what happened to me in a profound fashion in November of 2008. Uh, I went into deep coma over just a few hours uh, due to uh, a gram-negative bacterial meningoencephalitis that's really about the worst kind of meningitis you can have uh, and in fact there's a case report on my medical records uh, that was uh, made by uh, three physicians who were not involved in my care uh, but were fascinated by my recovery any m- medical doctor or healthcare professional who reviews that case report or my medical records, what have you, is going to be shocked. This is not some little, okay, he was lucky, got out of this week-long coma due to gram-negative bacterial meningitis. Uh, Luckily, it really is unheard of. There are no other cases like that in medical literature, although you will find (laughs) other cases of miraculous healing in near-death experiences. And that's really the kind of important point, and and we can get to that in later discussion. But it has to do with the power of prayer, uh, placebo effect, mind over matter, all those things. But I was just about to discover all that in my coma journey. Now, one important feature of my coma that uh, was a little atypical, this is uh, unusual for an NDE, and that is that I was... um, completely amnesic for the life of Evan Alexander. I had no memories of Earth, of humanity, of of living in this body the first 54 years of my life. Uh, All that was gone. It was a completely empty slate. And it was only over the many months after that, after I woke up and was analyzing and recording and analyzing all of my memories, then comparing all that with my medical records and came to this huge shock, this could not have happened in my brain if the brain has anything to do with creating consciousness in fact it was a much richer and more elaborate profound detailed uh, and meaningful set of circumstances that i experienced during that coma than i've ever experienced in my existence and yet it all happened while my brain as this case report points out and as i mentioned in proof of heaven was incapacitated it had no ability to construct any such elaborate Phenomenal experience. And that's why it's so important to the modern scientific community. Now, given the background of that amnesia, uh, what did happen in my coma, and I can remember it all as freshly today as if it happened yesterday morning. That's what's so amazing about these experiences. They are not hallucinations. Uh, They are not dreamy. They are absolutely ultra real. My experience started in what I call the earthworm's eye view, very primitive course, unresponsive realm. It seemed to go for ages, if not forever, but I was rescued from that by this slowly spinning white light, and it came to me and it was packaged with a perfect musical melody. And that was important later because I would cycle through these realms and then tumble back down to that beginning point. And by remembering the musical notes, the melody, I could always conjure up that light portal, or wormhole that led me up into the next level. The next level was absolutely astonishing beyond description. It's what I call the gateway valley. Uh, it had many Earth-like features. I was a speck of awareness on a butterfly wing. I had no body awareness at any time in this whole journey, and again, no memory of any kind of human language or my my life before coma. And in this Gateway Valley, a tremendously beautiful valley, just lush with life, incredible fertility, uh, no signs of any death or decay. Everything growing, dynamically alive, creative. Uh, and in this meadow, were thousands of beings dancing. They were wearing simple but very colorful clothing. There was tremendous joy and merriment. I remember uh, children playing and uh, dogs jumping and all kinds of festivities going on. And the best part about it, I was not witnessing all this alone. Hmm. Uh, Beside me on the butterfly wing was a beautiful young woman. I will never forget her sparkling blue eyes, her high cheekbones, uh, broad uh, cheeks, uh, I mean, uh, broad uh, Her forehead, uh, uh, very light brown hair, framing a lovely face. She looked at me with this look of pure love, and she never said a word. But her emotional truth came into my awareness in a telepathic fashion, deep, powerful, emotional, telepathic knowing of her existence. And she told me, you are deeply loved and cherished. You have nothing to fear. You are deeply cared for. And it was the most reassuring and affirming message I've ever heard. Uh, very reassuring. Now, there's another statement she made at the time. Um, you can do no wrong. I think, unfortunately, the way I presented that in the book Proof of Heaven, some people misinterpret that as, oh, we can do anything we want. Absolutely not. In the beautiful light and love of that realm, uh, that's the place where we would go through life reviews. You've heard about life flashing before your eyes. Well, that's been described going back at least 2,400 years to the writings of Plato, who wrote about the Armenian soldier Ur killed in battle, who then had a profound NDE, and it included a life review. And when Ur came back, he said, you go, everybody goes through this life review, and you find the only thing that matters is how much love you were able to bring to the world. That from a soldier who died in battle, uh, you know, millennia ago. Well, that could happen to any uh, soldier today, and in, in any modern war, and the same kind of thing is reported. Uh, and this is uh, that's why it's so important to understand that realm. Uh, when when I say you can do no wrong, what I really mean is we learn through that the life reviews that occur in that uh, in that realm, in that aspect of the spiritual realm. And it's always in the brilliant ambience of this light of love, of an infinitely loving God force. I became aware of that God force uh, as I was on that butterfly wing because there was this soft summer breeze that blew through. And even though the elements of the scene, by description, stayed the same, my emotional awareness of it with that breeze, I called it the breath of God or the divine wind in my early writings, because it was my first awareness of the absolute and complete uh, love that all of us are bathed in, uh, that loving God. And of course, people have been through these experiences going back thousands of years. That's what's given us all of our religious systems are based in personal experience that involves uh, deep journeys into realms beyond the physical realm. Uh, And so that's why these kind of journeys today are so important, especially because they fit in so well with the science of consciousness and how uh, all that uh, deep understanding of the the nature of reality is unfolding in a scientific sense today. So anyway, back in my gateway valley with this lovely uh, guardian angel or spiritual guide who is with me, uh, then I realized that all the festivities were being fueled because up above were these swooping orbs of light, leaving sparkling golden dusty trails against a blue-black velvety sky. And they were emanating chants and anthems and hymns mm-hmm. that would come down and just thunder through my awareness. Mm-hmm. Incredible emotional engagement through this music, music far beyond anything you could ever put together here in four-dimensional space-time. I mean, this is in the world of ideals, really. That's why the music is so profound. But uh, it turns out that those angelic choirs provided yet another portal. And I remember seeing another light portal forming up. And then I witnessed all of four-dimensional space-time collapsing down. And and then all of the spiritual realm that I was in, this Gateway Valley, with a very different uh, ordering and causality. Important to point out, we think Earth time, you know, the Earth time of our bodies living these lives here is the ultimate determinant of time passage in the universe. But no, life reviews show us very clearly that's not the case. Life reviews are not just a vague remembering of events of your life. It's a reliving and doing it from the emotional perspective of others around you. So it's a profound life reviews are generally a very profound example of of how uh, our boundaries of self are kind of a fiction that support this drama that we live here, but that ultimately we are truly all one. We come from one mind, that God force of pure love at the deepest level. And so I saw that deep time, as I call it, that would be the ordering of causality, for example, that would allow for witnessing life reviews, uh, of soul actually progressing to next levels, uh, reincarnation is very real as we might discuss uh, in a while because of the scientific evidence for it but it was crystal clear to me how that was an essential part of understanding uh these journeys is that we don't just come here birth to death and that's it but that our souls come back again and again as soul groups working together learning and teaching these lessons so in this beautiful uh Uh, You know, these angelic choirs providing all that collapse that was so obvious to me, that included a collapse of deep time. Uh, and all of that higher ordering uh, kind of orientation of our of life events, and it's not just uh, deep deep time is not just about the individual soul and their growth or soul group and their growth, but actually I believe that all of consciousness throughout the cosmos is evolving, and that is really where deep the concept of deep time is very important in helping us understand our progression and what we're supposed to learn from all these events of our lives. Now, and where that portal led me, the angelic choir portal was up into what I call the core where all dualities come into one. It was a a pure oneness, a oneness with the, the, essence of god the completeness of god uh showing me that in essence we are all truly co-creators with that god force and we have free will as much as modern materialist science that believes it's all just chemical reactions electron fluxes in the brain would try and tell you you do not have free will the deeper quantum informed truth of all this is free will is what guides all of the emerging universe Once you realize the primacy of consciousness. So in that core realm, I was aware of this oneness with the divine, but also this very uh, slight sense of this brilliant orb of light that was there to serve as an interpreter or translator. And there was this kind of triangulation between my awareness, that orb and the brilliant oneness of God love. But then it would all kind of harmonize into one. And it was kind of like this uh, beautiful oscillation, but I try and describe it in proof of heaven. It's very difficult to put any of this into words, uh, but that's kind of the essence of it. And in the core, I was told not in words or language, but in pure conceptual flow that I converted to words when I came back to this world, that, You are not here to stay. We'll teach you many things. You'll be going back. Uh, And there were a tremendous number of lessons there, the things that I've talked about for 13 years. Uh, You know, you cannot just kind of compartmentalize that. Uh, But uh, essentially, it was all about love and oneness and and uh, a lot of clues about how quantum physics is absolutely at the core of understanding the primacy of consciousness. Uh, I mean, so many lessons. But ultimately, for all of us to understand, most important being that we're bound together through love. Mm -hmm. It's all about love, compassion, kindness, Mm -hmm. acceptance, taking care of, of each other, and the least, the last, and the lost. These were the deepest and most profound lessons. Now, interestingly, as I said, I would then tumble back down to that earthworm-eye view, but by remembering the musical notes of the melody, I was able to conjure up uh, that portal that led me up into the Gateway Valley. Mm-hmm. Always welcomed there by that beautiful uh, spiritual guide on the butterfly wing, with the same message of reassurance and love, and then uh, witnessing all that going on down in the valley below, and then uh, the mer- through the merriment through the. Uh, uh, angelic choirs above being uh, escorted up through yet another portal into that timeless realm of the core, uh, that complete unity of everything. We're all dualities. I often describe it as a dazzling darkness. Uh, you know, to describe something that's brilliant with light and yet uh, intensely black, people cannot understand, and yet in that core realm, it made perfect sense. And that's where it also becomes obvious that evil, as I try to explain in Proof of Heaven, is but is like a trace impurity throughout the cosmos that is used to actually serve as a gradient for growth of all of us towards that loving and uh, infinitely powerful healing force of God, uh, and uh, so I would I would go through these uh, transitions multiple times. Uh, there finally came a, a time. When uh, I tried to conjure up using the musical notes uh, to get that portal to get up out of the earthworm I view into the Gateway Valley, and just as they promised me in the core many a time, you're not here to stay, you'll be going back, I then seemed to be stuck down in that earthworm I view realm. But the thing that was different this time was that I was surrounded by these beings going off into the distance, many with their heads bowed, some with candles up, uh, hands like this. Um, And um, there was this murmuring energy coming from them. And that murmuring energy came to me and was this uh, absolutely beautiful, welcoming uh, feeling deep in the spiritual home, just as I had felt. In the gateway valley and in the core realm but here i was back in this kind of ugly murky realm and you i realized there's all that love is here too uh mm-hmm. and it was then that i saw six faces that would bubble up out of the muck they would say a little something i didn't understand the words but blah 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 blah, blah. it was kind of like you know those charlie brown christmas cartoons long mm-hmm. ago when the adults would talk and you'd say wow mm-hmm. that's what it was like uh but i i their faces were burned into my memory. In fact, I can see that very same vision of those six faces today as if it just happened. And turns out those faces were important. They served as what are called veridical time anchors. They were of people, five of whom were there in the ICU room the last 24 hours I was in coma. Uh, very important uh, because that helped me to understand that the vast majority of my coma journey happened between days one and five. And it's the Mm -hmm. medical case report, which is available on my website, on my blog posting from September 2018, from the uh, Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases by Dr. Serbi Khanna, Dr. Bruce Grayson, Dr. Lauren Moore, Uh, that case report, uh, made it clear that my brain was in no shape to uh, harbor any kind of dream or hallucination. And also they made it very clear that my uh, recovery was best looked at as a medical miracle. Uh, so anyway, at the very end of the journey, uh, there were those five faces. There was also a sixth face. This was very important. She was never within uh, 120 miles physically of where I was, but when I woke up on day seven, even though I didn't recognize loved ones at the bedside, my mother, my sisters, my sons, initially, uh, my language came back quickly. And with hours, I was recognizing loved ones. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was reporting those six faces. And uh, the the last, the one who was not physically there was Susan Rentschitz, a family friend. She'd written a book called Third Eye Open um, about channeling to help and heal people and uh, my uh, former spouse had been good friends with her and one of the other uh, uh, people, family friends at my bedside that whole week, Sylvia White, the two of them were friends with Susan Wrenches. They contacted her, and so Susan uh, channeled to me on days, nights four and five of my coma, and she was very apparent to me. I mean, it was crystal clear. So in those first hours after waking up, when I, I started saying, well, you were here and you were here and susan was here where susan they said well she wasn't physically here mm. but she came to you uh, through her channeling and of course at the time before my coma if you asked me about channeling i would say that's a bunch of hooey nonsense <laughs> now i knew the reality absolutely real don't anybody try and tell me it's not real because i experienced it perfectly mm-hmm. in my coma and susan was right there she helped Uh, and kind of ushering me back to this world. Mm -hmm. Uh, So anyway, I saw those six faces. And the last face was really the reason I came back here. During this entire journey, giving my amnesia, uh, not remembering Evan Alexander's life, and in in essence being kind of driven along on this uh, beautiful journey and and being shown these many things, but without really having a sense of my higher soul driving uh, the set of events, Um, I had thought, I had come to believe, well, all of this can continue or it can cease. It doesn't matter. Now, all of a sudden, though, with the sixth face, I knew it mattered. It was the face of a 10-year-old boy. Mm. And as I describe in Proof of Heaven, this was really the first time that I felt fear in the entire journey. Mm. Uh, And it it just so happened that was day seven of coma. It was a Sunday morning. It was... uh, uh, the doctors had, had started the week by telling my family I had a 10% chance of survival. And now by the seventh day, without any positive signs of my responding to three powerful antibiotics, having been on a ventilator the whole week, the doctors were saying it's really time to just let nature take its course mm. and let him go, stop the antibiotics. And they had protected bond from the worst news during the week, but he was outside and overheard that. Mm. And when he did, he came running down the hallway into Major Bay 10, pulled open my eyelids, uh, and uh, one eye looking over here, one eye over there, neither pupil responding. Anybody in medicine knows that's a horrible picture. And I promise you, I do not see him with my eyes nor hear him with my ears, Mm -hmm. but deep in that spiritual space where I was witnessing these faces, his pleading came through, and I didn't understand the words. He was saying, Daddy, you're going to be okay. Daddy, you're going to be okay. Uh, But I could understand the emotional power and the sense of connection. So I didn't know who he was, didn't understand the words, but all of a sudden everything mattered. And that was what provoked such fear in me at the end, because now I had to figure this out or somehow make it so, because uh, it all did matter. I had this responsibility to another soul. And that's really why I came back. And a lot of NDEers, Come back for similar reasons. It's a responsibility for somewhere here, someone here, or a group here, or to do something here. Uh, but uh, you know that realm is not where our souls get the growth done. They get it done here, where we're temporarily dumbed down to the knowledge of our higher soul, both between lives and you know when we're born into this life. But at any rate, uh, my memories, uh, language came back very quickly after I woke up within hours and days. Uh, a lot of my childhood and. Other personal memories returned over one or two weeks. All my semantic knowledge of cosmology, physics, neuroscience, neurosurgery, every bit of it came back by two months. Uh, In our third book, Living in a Mindful Universe, we go into a tremendous amount of detail about the current union of science and spirituality based on these kind of experiences. And in that book, we talk about how modern neuroscience is beginning to realize memories are not even stored in the brain. That was crystal clear to me from my coma and then my uh, lack of memory coming out of it and then my kind of gentle snowfall of reaccumulating memories uh, that occurred over the next two months coming back. Mm -hmm. Interesting thing is that given deep, conversations with family, both uh, long after coma and long before coma about certain early life events, it became clear to me that my memories post coma were more complete than they had Mm -hmm. been Mm pre-coma. So there's some fascinating aspects of memory, of time, of the relationship of kind of our spiritual self to our uh, kind of material self. Uh, Every bit of that comes together through this story. And the good news is living in a mindful universe makes very clear uh, that was co-written with my partner, Karen Newell, who's the co-founder of Sacred Acoustics, which is a form of binaural beat brainwave entrainment uh, that I use daily as a meditative technique. But Karen and I wrote that book, and it is um, it has been endorsed by some of the leading scientists and consciousness studies around the world, uh, like uh, Ed Kelly and Pim Ben Lommel and Bruce Grace and Jim Tucker, uh, Bernardo Castrup. I mean, the list goes on and on of scientists who are strong endorsers of living in a mindful universe. Uh, and this really is about a scientific revolution. That's what we're talking about. Not just, you know, are NDEs real? But yes, they're absolutely real. And yes, they're, they're consistent with our modern science. And in fact, they give us tremendous clues about the nature of reality. And from my point of view, one of the most important lessons has to do with healing and becoming more whole and you look at something like placebo effect and realize it goes far 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 beyond that we have tremendous power to heal ourselves and to heal this world that's why this kind of story is so absolutely crucial
0: Mm -hmm. oh my gosh mind blown (laughs) thank you for sharing your story incredible all of it's incredible your survival um the messages that you've brought, you know, back. Thank you for your courage too, because, you know, as we all know in this world and scientific community for you, especially as being a doctor and, um, you know, there are a lot of people that just can't grasp this and I've never had the experiences that you've had, but it all resonates. I feel that it's true intuitively. I've channeled a lot with people. I've gone, you know, mediums, every message really seems rings true and I've had a lot of friends that are nurses that have had, near-death experience in their patients and they all come back and say the same thing. They were seeing these white lights and positive experience, love. So you can't, how many times can you doubt? How many coincidences can there be, right? So your story really rings true in that. And um, I, I don't
1: know. I would just add there are about 300,000 NDEs out there on the internet, in books, in scientific papers and reviews, uh, many scientists around the world. I'm an advisor for GalileoCommission.org. I would say that's a very valuable site for anybody who wants to get quickly up to speed on the power of this scientific revolution about the primacy of consciousness. But there is no question at all given the data, that the physicalist or materialist model in science, the brain creates consciousness, is absolutely false. Mm-hmm. And it's going the way of the dodo. It's very important to get this out there, and the scientific community is... Uh, uh, rapidly evolving towards a deeper understanding of all this. And it has a tremendous amount of importance for the world because so much of our conflict and polarization, war, violence against each other, uh, economic polarization, uh, the uh, uh, climate collapse through uh, corporate greed, things like that, uh, is all driven by this kind of fundamental materialist belief of a false sense of separation, mm-hmm. separation from others and from the universe. And what this this new model of the science of consciousness brings to us all that is so profound. And I promise you, this is at the leading edges. Uh, The scientists who aren't aware of this yet just haven't done the homework. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is very important to understand that what it's telling us is we are all sharing one mind. We are all part of one consciousness Mm. in a very deep and real sense. This is not about, you know, new age, woo woo thinking. This is the cutting edges of quantum informed science of consciousness with some of the world's leading investigators. And it's important for all of us to get it because essentially it's pointing out the power of the golden rule. Mm. The golden rule is written into the fabric of the universe through the life review You know, treat others as you would like to be treated is right there, front and center. The way most people describe life reviews, and that's why all of this is so important. Is we've lost sight of the fact that we're in this together, and that we really should treat others as we would like to be treated. And if all of us did that on an individual level, a uh, societal group level, a national level, tribal level, uh, global level, uh, then the world would become a much better place. And the scientific evidence. Supporting this oneness of connection and that binding force of love, especially through the lens of near-death experiences and similar shared death experiences, after-death communications, deathbed visions, every bit of it is screaming to us to pay attention, Mm -hmm. that our souls have a much more important mission than just kind of a a greedy, self-centered, egotistical existence, birth to death in a material body, but that we're all much grander than that and we're much better interconnected and it's all about love. That's the lesson Mm -hmm. that this world needs to hear from the evolving science of consciousness. Mm
0: nicely said and i'm happy to hear there's more research and more you know scientists discovering this and and studying it it needs to needs to be shared because we've been very trained to only look at things in one way and i think that's honestly what's going on in a bigger i talk a lot about this on my show just what's going on in the world right now a lot of old paradigms dying and shifting and there's a lot of chaos and uncomfortability happening i see it as a gift i think it's things that aren't working are crumbling we're moving forward and luckily there's a lot of spiritual practices yoga reiki energy healing channeling you name it becoming more mainstream and accepted so it's an exciting time to be alive it's also can be quite challenging um i have a couple questions for you and i can't remember if it was in your book so pardon me but i've heard it from similar stories um why do we have a veil here I, i don't remember if it was your book but something about if we remembered our home or like a heavenly space or another level, another realm, we'd be so homesick. Did you write something similar to that?
1: Well, it's, it's similar to that, okay. but it's not necessarily in, in those words. Okay. I would say the, the reality is that, um, our, our soul growth, uh, uh is, is, uh, at least at the current stage of human development, is such that uh, to have full awareness of previous lives and between lives uh, would um, in many ways not allow us to learn the lessons that mm. we can learn by living these lives and the, the, the challenges and hardships uh, that we face because those are really kind of the stepping stones of our growth. And, an important kind of fact to bring in on all this is uh, all the evidence for reincarnation. If you go to uvadops.org, That's the University of Virginia Division of Perceptual Studies. You'll find a serious scientific investigation of reincarnation that's been going on for more than six decades. Now, there are many other investigators around the world, but this is one of the premier groups. Ian Stevenson started it all in the 1960s. Dr. Jim Tucker is taking it over now. They have more than 2,500 cases. But What they will tell you is you need to harvest those memories before age five or six. And the reason is, that uh, the memories start to get covered over, you know, and children can often talk about uh, having memories of a past life when they're three or four or five years old, and most parents will kind of dismiss it. But if you pursue it, uh, ask them more questions and then start following the evidence, you find that many of these cases the best explanation by far is of actual reincarnation that's what was so beautiful about Ian Stevenson's original work now there's another process that's very well known in uh, child psychology and that is what is known as the amnesia of childhood and most of us will admit to this that you don't really remember things very well before age five or six whatever those events were that happened we don't we tend to not remember them as well as things that happen later. Part of that is we, we shift our memory recovery to a linguistically based form. Uh, And that that's part of the problem. There, There are other issues, but the thing that's more important is to understand it's almost like there's those uh, kind of major observations from people who study past life memories and also study psychology and children in general, uh, look like it's conspiring to um, eliminate our memories of past lives and between lives. And I believe that is for a purpose. I believe that is for us to more fully engage with the events of this particular lifetime so they can serve to help us uh, learn and teach each other these profound lessons that we're, we're here to learn and grow. Our souls are growing towards something. I would say uh, essentially it's the evolution of all consciousness. As Pierre Teilhard de Chardin said uh, in his book The Phenomenon of Man in the mid-20th century, he recognized that evolution was much more than just a simplistic, puny, Darwinian evolution of biological systems on Earth, but that it involved this tremendous evolution of all consciousness. And that's what I think is actually going on. But that evolution requires us to have this kind of programmed forgetting mm-hmm. as i call it that occurs uh, you know in, in in our youthful years we have access to those memories but if somebody doesn't make it seriously they get covered over now a lot of people will find especially in the world of transpersonal psychology which is a field that's evolved in the last few decades uh that now has treated hundreds of thousands of patients Began with observations of Carl Jung uh, back in the 40s, 30s, 40s, and 50s. Uh, the famous Swiss uh, psycho uh, psych- psychiatrist, uh, Carl Jung, came up with these ideas of synchronicity and the collective unconscious, all that kind of thing. And then Stan, Dr. Stan Groff in the 60s, 70s, uh, using hypnotic regression, using LSD and other uh, plant medicines or entheogens to help people get into past lives and into deeper conscious states. Then the work of Dr. Uh, uh, Brian Weiss, uh, Michael Newman, uh, Newton, excuse me. they've done incredibly good work moving forward into this century about hypnotic regression and using meditative techniques for people to get this broader sense of who they are. And that broader sense can include flashes of past life memories that are very useful in figuring out this life's events. That's why transpersonal psychology can be so useful, is you find that your psychology and the issues you face here since your birth in this material body actually have issues that were linked to things that happened in your prior lifetimes. And for example, in the the Ian Stevenson literature, for example, you'll find Uh, A lot of people who have uh, phobias as young children of a, a fear of something, a fear of drowning, a fear of fire, a fear of being in a closed space or something, and then with with these uh, techniques of transpersonal psychology, you find that perhaps they died in a in something mm-hmm. that would provoke that kind of a fear in a, in the next lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in fact, there was a recent paper from uh, Jim Tucker and, and the UVA group uh, that looked at gender identity uh, in, and and uh, basically found that that uh, the vast majority of people uh, who in this life um, might have some kind of um, gender conflict uh, compared with their, their, the sex they were born into uh, the past life. Uh, information validated that in that past life, they were of an opposite sex. So mm-hmm. that kind of thing is what I'm talking about, that with a bigger view of understanding and with scientific study of these kind of effects, we can art- start to understand the reality of it and how all of us can benefit from uh, say meditating. I meditate an hour to a day. I've had many uh, kind of past life flashbacks that I tend to take into the current era uh, to try and help me understand issues of my life. Today. Today. Mm-hmm. Now, in terms of tracking them down, you know, objectively uh, to validate them in a scientific sense, that's extremely hard to do. And I would not say that I've um, done that to any major measure, mainly because it takes way too much time. But I, I certainly know the things that feel right and that yeah. where the the reality of the memory uh, can be very illuminating about how it relates to this lifetime. So from, from a, a point a viewpoint of personal growth, I found this kind of daily meditation w- in which I use sacred acoustics, binaural beat brainwave entrainment to get very, very deep has been very beneficial to me over time. Mm.
0: Is that um, like audio, like sound? Way it is. Know. And we,
1: again, we talk about that a lot in Living in a Mindful Universe. Uh, full disclosure here uh, sacredacoustics.com is a company that provides these tones. It was co founded by my partner, mm. uh, my life partner of the last 10 years, mm. who is also the co author of Living in a Mindful Universe, Karen Newell. Uh, but it, I advise anyone who's interested in meditation, mm-hmm. if you need a tool to help you very deep, mm-hmm. try this out. I was first uh, made aware of binaural beat brainwave and trained back about within a year or two of my coma. Mm-hmm. And to me, it looked like a fascinating technology. Uh, just briefly, um, most of the sounds we've ever heard, and that includes any chant or anthem or hymn that might have induced a transcendental state of conscious awareness, they're all processed up in the acoustic. Uh, uh, lobes in the temporal lobes, the acoustic cortex. Uh, And um, those are circuits that basically have uh, been refined in the last million or two years in primates and in Homo sapiens. Very, very different binaural beat brainwave entrainment. It was a phenomenon discovered in the mid-1800s by a Prussian physicist named Wilhelm Heinrich Dove. And he found that a single pure tone in one ear say 100 hertz, for example, 100 cycles per second, and a slightly different one in the other ear, for example, 104 hertz, that that difference, the arithmetic difference between them, gives you a 4 hertz wavering sensation deep inside the brain. And for many years, nobody had any idea where that wavering came from. There was a paper in Scientific American uh, by a fellow named Oster Back in I think 1973 or four, uh, that talked about the power of binaural beats and 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 looked at the anatomy of the brainstem and basically started to describe how these tones have this influence on a circuit way down in the lower brainstem. It's a superior olivary nucleus for anybody who cares. Uh, But the reality is, by driving that circuit, you can influence the modulation of ascending ignition uh, signals that modulate uh, what are called thalamocortical loops the links between the deep thalamus and the whole neocortex uh, and all that can be modulated and what i've i discerned way back in the early days after my coma was that this technique of modulating the lower brain stem could be a very powerful way of separating conscious awareness in the here and now from our kind of body and brain Mm-hmm. And it, it works beautifully. Karen and I give workshops. We've done that for years around the world on using sacred acoustics, binaural beat brainwave entrainment. Uh, it's a very powerful way for people uh, to kind of get in touch with their spiritual side, connect with souls of departed loved ones, uh, invoke healing in self and others, mm-hmm. uh, use it for study. In fact, my oldest son, Evan the fourth, used theta uh, recordings from sacred acoustics when he studied for his uh, uh medical board exams and uh he would credit that theta just while he was studying he listened to theta in the background and he would credit that with giving him a significant boost in his scores from one test to the next. Uh, So, I mean, these things have tremendous power for artistic creativity, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. Just go to sacredacoustics.com, look at the testimonials page, look at the page Karen set up about I want to dot, 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 and then find what you're trying to do, uh, whether it's creativity, connecting with a loved one, uh, enhancing study, or uh, kind of understanding of self. Uh, all the many reasons that people would meditate or go within for healing, uh, every bit of it, anxiety of reduction. In fact, there's a beautiful pilot study peer reviewed in the journal of nervous and mental disease. It's from Dr. Anna Youssef, who, uh, took sacred acoustics tones in, in what's called the whole mind bundle. Um, and, uh, She used that in this pilot study published in February 2020 in Journal of Nervous and Mental Diseases that found that, in fact, uh, her patients who listened to Sacred Acoustics Tones uh, for two weeks um, basically had a 26% reduction in in anxiety symptoms over that period. And that's compared to, I think, about 7% in the control group who had a standard therapy, but without the uh, sacred acoustics tone. So a pilot study that very strongly supports uh, the power of sacred acoustics in a scientific setting. Uh, of course, we see it all the time in our workshops, and, and she hears from people all around the world who use sacred acoustics and hears of the great benefits they get. Uh, but it's, it's a proven technique. We're uh, in the process of designing some other studies uh, that will be used, uh, hopefully, in a hospice setting in terms care setting uh we'd like to get out into prisons and schools mm-hmm. any of your listeners who have uh you know worked with schools or prisons or hospitals or uh psychiatric clinics what have you we're interested in discussing other protocols for how binaural beat brainwave entrainment can greatly alleviate some of the ills of our modern society
0: mm-hmm. that's really cool i want to try that because i've been. Trying to get you know more into the practice of meditation, and you know it's a struggle sometimes. The busy life, right? You get kids and life, and sometimes. Um, so I'd like to try that as an assistance uh, tool for that. But um, I love all your scientific uh, studies and backings too. I think I have a lot of people that on the show that woo woo, which I love, but I think for a lot of people they can also relate maybe to the more scientific approach and, and skepticism. And uh, like you said, there's just so much that can be proven and recorded in data. And I love that approach.
1: Um, well, there is, and along that line as a resource, might I suggest, um, uh, recently last year, there was a, a big contest with $1.8 million in prize money. It was offered by Robert Bigelow, who's an aerospace, uh, um, uh, entrepreneur out in Las Vegas, um, and his contest was provide the best scientific evidence for the reality of survival of consciousness after physical death. That was the challenge, and uh, they had uh, you know thousands of people wanted to get involved. Uh, I think 204 people were granted access to participate in the contest because they'd been working on this question scientifically for more than five years. Uh, Originally, they were going to give out three prizes, uh, but due to the tremendous interest, they ended up giving out a total of 29 prizes. Mm. And those papers are all now available for free to the public at BigelowInstitute.org. Go to that website. Start reading those papers. If you just start with a first place paper by Dr. Jeffrey Mishlove, uh, who uh, runs a beautiful YouTube a channel called uh, New Thinking Aloud," uh, and I would highly recommend his channel. But anyway, Jeffrey's been involved in this work for more than fifty years. He wrote an incredibly powerful essay, and you read that, and you realize anybody who's still trying to pretend this is all nonsense and woo-woo, and you know, is not scientifically based in the nature of reality, is uh, just completely missing the point. Mm-hmm. And then the other twenty-eight essays are all so beautiful; they all come at it from different directions. The second-place essay by Dr. Pim van Lommel, a Dutch cardiologist who uh, wrote one of the first major scientific papers on NDEs, is an absolute gem. It's beautifully written. I love how uh, in his footnotes to that paper, when he's supporting the evidence for the modern scientific model of the primacy of consciousness in the universe, uh, he cites uh, not only a beautiful paper called Consciousness in the Universe by Bernardo Castro and and the wonderful book Spiritual Science, uh by uh, uh steve taylor uh but also our book living in mindful universe as a beautiful resource showing the synthesis of science and spirituality and how uh um, all of this is uh, making major leap forward. It has everything to do with a deeper understanding of quantum physics. It's one of the reasons why the measurement paradox has been so elusive to the modern physicists. The more they they hew towards a materialism, the more confused they are. Mm-hmm. And now there's a very straightforward solution uh, from my point of view, uh, if you look at uh, the measurement paradox as interpreted by Carlo Rovelli uh, in his work on loop quantum gravity, and then supplement that with the beautiful metaphysics of Bernardo Castrop, who is, you can find it at bernardocastrop.com. That's Castrop with a K. He's another one of the scientific endorsers of our book, of Living in a Mindful Universe. But all of this is coalescent. Mm -hmm. And it's scientific. Mm -hmm. This is not woo woo. It's not uh, make believe nonsense. This is the cutting edge of quantum informed science of consciousness. It's the only way forward because it's where all the evidence lies. Mm -hmm. I agree.
0: I mean, even just to break that down, like way simpler, right? We, we know like deep breathing and conscious breathing can reduce stress. I mean, that's like scientifically proven. It's something you can measure yourself by how you're feeling. Right? So A lot of meditation doesn't have to just be sitting in a room, right, with your legs crossed. You can literally just be conscious in this moment and take some deep breaths and just be. That's a form of meditation. So
1: I Uh, love it all. I promise you, after meditating an hour or two a day for the last 10, 11 years, my entire mental set, I mean, just walking in nature, Mm -hmm. uh, as you say, just taking a deep breath, Mm -hmm. my whole mind works in a very different fashion than it did, you know, 15 years ago. Uh, and it's very comforting. It's a beautiful uh, way to get meaning and purpose in life and also uh, to solve some of the kind of anxiety and emotional challenges of yeah, the current era. That's true. Uh, having this beautiful balance and grounding with the universe at large uh, mm-hmm. can be a tremendous resource.
0: I agree. So after your um, whole ordeal, once you were recovering, um, since then, have you had any health implications from that? Or are you completely healed physically.
1: Well, I I feel like my my healing was an incredible gift. Yeah. I mean, when I first came out of coma, you know, I was a wreck. Yeah. Uh, Things were starting to come back, but I think, especially in the first few days, my family was very worried. Mm. And I describe a lot in in Proof of Heaven, Mm. there was a great distinction, especially in looking back on it, between the crisp, brilliant clarity of my deep coma visions Mm. and spiritual journey Mm compared to the 36 hours after i was extubated after i was taken off the ventilator when my brain was still just a wreck mm-hmm. of a mess and uh, you know the the kind of hallucinations i've had the psychotic nightmares it was wild mm-hmm. but all that stuff disappeared after Mm. a few weeks. The deep coma memories are resilient, stable. They haven't changed Mm. one bit. They come back to me easily. Mm -hmm. In fact, I've used my meditation to return to my NDE, not just to recover memories, but to actually engage dynamically with every bit of what I first encountered in the NDE. And it's one of the things that Karen and I push in our workshops so heavily is you don't have to have an NDE to come to know everything I know about this. Mm -hmm. If you meditate, if you go Within, if you get to know consciousness and explore it deeply mm-hmm. outside of the, the bleak and paltry fiction of our materialist thinking, you will find the same deep and profound yeah. truths. So I encourage people to get into prayer and meditation. Mm-hmm. But of course, most importantly, uh, it's living these lives. It's what we can glean from those experiences in meditation, but we bring it back. We bring it here. Yeah. Every choice we make in dealing with ourselves and in dealing with others is done through this deep wisdom of love and compassion and kindness and the higher good. That's where the benefits really start to come out.
0: Yeah. I was going to ask you if you, in your meditations, you channel or connect with, um, you know, the experience that sounds like you do. And, um, in the proof of heaven book. Well, I don't really want to give it away, actually. So I'm not going to ask that question. People should read <laughs> right. it. There's significance with the butterfly um, yes, and a, a past it's loved one.
1: Gorgeous, yeah, it it, my eyes. And it,
0: you know, it, it, to me, it does too. And I think it's funny. I think we all can create our own heavens. I've heard that from many before in a way, like your own vision, but like, you know, your experience may be different. You were flying through trees that were blooming, right? I remembered that because I feel like that's something that I feel like my heaven would be. I'm very connected with like the earth and nature and flowers. I feel are so heavenly here on earth. We have bits of heaven right around us and read that book. It is so gorgeous. We'll, we'll put it in the description. Um, Before we wrap up in a few minutes, um, do you, have you gotten any, any channeled information just on like some things we can be doing right now when it does feel really chaotic? I mean, COVID and beyond, but I mean, like you said, loving and grace and all those things, but specifically like, are there certain things that we can be praying for for ourselves and humanity as a whole
1: well, i think the important thing to do is to realize you know so many of us and i know this is true of me before coma we identify with that running stream of thoughts in our head mm-hmm. you know that run, that constant you know kind of monkey mind chatter the little ego mind in there talking with you all the time, you know, that you think is you. Mm -hmm. That is not you. That is not your consciousness. You actually have a much richer and deeper connection to the universe. And that is the value of meditating. And so for me, the first thing I do when I go into meditation is I allow that voice, that little Evan Alexander voice in my head, it can state a request, you know, ask a question, what have you. Sometimes the question can be, what do I need to know now? Something that general. But then that voice goes into timeout. And I learn to ride those sacred acoustics tones and they take me deeper and deeper. And that's when everything starts to happen. It can be just this brilliant ocean of pure love, or I can start having visions that help me to understand things. I'll start uh, having what seems to me to be an interaction of higher soul to higher soul with someone else. Say, if maybe I'm having any kind of conflict, Uh, but I just open it up and don't let that little ego voice Mm -hmm drag you down. Like the little boy saying, wait a minute, nothing's happening. What's going on? What's wrong here? What am I doing wrong? Mm -hmm. Forget it. Let that go because there are, there's a far richer connection when you don't try and drive it with your own ego. I mean, I I know from all my years as a physician in, in the work with alcoholism, addiction, things like that. Um, Uh, One of the worst things is people are slave to their ego. That's absolutely the problem in addictions and alcoholism. I'm not just talking about drug and alcohol addiction, but addiction to sex, addiction to love, addiction to work, addiction to exercise. I mean, we can get addicted to all kinds of things and and wreck our lives. But this is a way... Of kind of moving beyond that, beyond that little ego voice, and you start developing your relationship with that more, uh, that primordial mind that's behind the veil. Mm-hmm. And this is really just taking uh, advantage of the scientific model emerging. The brain is not a creator of consciousness, but it's a filter or transceiver. And it's very important uh, because it it uh, it is what allows us access to that much grander mind. But we got to remember the little ego mind is not really who we are. Mm-hmm. And if you function and at ego level all the time, you're basically not much more than a robot, Mm -hmm. you know, an automaton, which materialist science would try and claim we all are anyway by claiming that uh, consciousness is nothing more than chemical reactions, electron fluxes in the brain. Mm -hmm. Now, I know it's far more than that, and when we these modern scientific groups start talking about filter theory, which we discuss in great detail in Living in a Mindful Universe, you start to realize how uh, traversing that veil, which you can do in meditation, uh, is a very powerful way of developing your relationship with that God force, that healing mm-hmm. force of wholeness. Mm-hmm. This is where I think the real action is. As a physician, I'm fascinated, not just with placebo effect, but with spontaneous remission of of cases miraculous cases like my own and like other ndes anita morjani who cured her own lymphoma Mm. or dr mary c neal who uh, had uh, more than 30 minute warm water drowning Mm. and Mm. any doctor out there knows you don't just heal from those things Mm. or from the meningitis i had as revealed through my case report and yet we do Yep. And that's just an example. And, and what we're trying to share is that we all have this power. Mm-hmm. You don't have to sit around and hope you'll be blessed with an NDE to give you miraculous healing. You can con- cultivate yeah. that relationship with that primordial mind. And in that way, come into much richer sense of your meaning and purpose in life. And with that coming into wholeness comes also the healing, mm. not only uh, physical, mental, emotional, but ultimately every bit of it is spiritual. And when I use the word spiritual, that doesn't have to invoke religion. Although people with religion through prayer and meditation can get this deep spirituality, but for me, spirituality, just has two big ingredients. That's all they need. It doesn't have to do with uh, any religion. The main ingredients, one, a sense of connection with all with that one mind. Uh, And that's the other book. I'm sorry. When I mentioned Pim van Lommel's uh, four sources of one mind, uh, uh, knowledge in the modern scientific world. The, f- the fourth one I did mention was Dr. Larry Dossi's book, One Mind. Um, mm. So anyway, uh, wow. but uh, it's all about that sense of connection and healing. And then also, of course, a sense of meaning and purpose mm. uh, in your life. And it's not just some blind mechanistic wheel. And likewise, when we talk about reincarnation in the setting, it's not, uh, similar to that. Uh, for example, some people would interpret Buddhism as uh, reincarnation and you're trying to get off the wheel of reincarnation mm-hmm. as if it's just perpetual suffering. And in the, my second book, the map of heaven, we went extensively into how, no, this is a very different, this is a form of grace. This is a form of growth and transformation with these repetitive reincarnations. It's mm-hmm. all towards oneness with the divine mm-hmm. and, and the evolution of all sentience throughout the universe. Okay.
0: Actually, I have one more question before we, I know you got to get going soon, but that's something as my human brain, I get stuck on something, right? Like that karmic wheel of reincarnation. What is your understanding of it? Like our soul would just continue to live in different lives until it's learned what it needs. And also, is it like God or consciousness? I say that it's all in one wanting that experience through each one of us like how do you
1: well basically we are sharing the dream of the one mind yeah so yes and you know some people cheapen that down like i think elon musk often says we're living in a simulation yeah that's a very pop culture kind of tick tock way to put it right it's much bigger and grander than that because we're part of all of the evolution of sentience throughout the cosmos Mm -hmm. not just a little bit of humans on planet earth stuff. but This is really gigantic. Oh yeah. Uh, And I I mentioned that briefly in proof of heaven, you know, about the vast civilizations that I witnessed deep in my coma. Uh, But it really, from my point of view, Uh, has to do with this much bigger sense of purpose of the evolution of all of Sinians. Uh, Just Mm. as Pierre Teilhard de Chardin mentioned uh, in Phenomenon of Man, it really is that grand. Mm. And uh, just like that old saying, all, uh, all, uh, you know, what is it, the real estate saying, I'm sorry, all politics is local. That saying is what I'm looking for. Mm. Uh, just as the evolution of all consciousness for sentience throughout the universe is likewise, nothing more than the individual sentient being coming into a deeper knowing thyself, Mm -hmm. uh, knowing your relationship with the universe Mm -hmm. and uh, sensing this kind of shared purpose and a sense of growth through that uh, acknowledgement of oneness and cultivating that beautiful sense of oneness and love, the binding force of love. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's really all a very powerful uh, set of kind of psychology, Theology, science, philosophy, metaphysics, every bit of it is coming together in a very unified way. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that's why I'm so excited to be working with scientists around the world on this uh, profound revolution, Mm -hmm. uh, which I think is absolutely essential for the survival of mankind. I
0: agree. So perhaps this could be eternal, right? (laughs) Like, just keep having different experiences. Absolutely eternal. Yeah. Wow, incredible. All
1: towards that uh, beautiful oneness with that infinitely loving force. Yes. Oh my gosh. Wow.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that. What a amazing conversation. Um, Okay. So proof of heaven. And then please mention your other two books.
1: Yes. Uh, The second book was the map of heaven, which is really just my demonstration that this just didn't need, but that there are, you know, millions of other people who have had these experiences. They're very common. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then the, the real sequel to proof of heaven is living in a mindful universe. Okay. Uh, that was, that came out in 2017. Okay. It was co-written with my life partner and uh, uh, Karen Newell, uh, who has been a tremendous spiritual mentor to me. As you see, when you read that book, and again, it was scientifically uh, validated, uh, peer, uh, Pim Van Lommel using it as one of the main resources for modern scientific demonstration of the oneness of mind and how we're all sharing that mind uh it's a, it's a beautiful uh Uh, kind of expose that, that helps people understand not only the big scientific picture and how this relates to all of spirituality, but also with a lot of information about the individual and how they can enhance their journey through specific recommendations about meditation and understandings of their relationship with the universe. So living in a mindful universe, people can follow me on EbenAlexander.com, go to sacredacoustics.com to learn more about the meditation. And also Karen and I with the panel, pandemic, she came up with this brilliant idea, all the people, the, the wonderful global leaders, thought leaders in this movement and the scientific understanding of it uh, around the world who we would not see because all of our uh, uh, jobs, you know, traveling the world to give workshops were canceled. She came up with the idea to do webinars. So every mm-hmm. two weeks during the, most of the pandemic, we would interview some of our scientific friends, fellow experiencers, others very knowledgeable about this uh, profound revolution. And those interviews are all available for free. Mm-hmm. Uh, go to unitedinhopeandhealing.com. And you can just uh, sign up and go back and listen to all those. We're not actively producing them right now. We'll probably get back into it in a few months. But there's a tremendous library of of very rich interviews at UnitedInHopeAndHealing.com.
0: Okay. Wow. Well, we'll definitely list your books and your website and Sacred Healing um, in the description of the the notes so people can find all those resources i thank you for your time today it was lovely to meet you
1: <laughs> lauren lovely to talk with you thanks yeah. so much for having me on Absolutely. and blessings to you oh, and to all of your listeners
0: thank you yes blessings to everybody and i hope you all enjoyed it i know i did and thank you for being a messenger to us really appreciate oh, it's it it's my
1: pleasure yeah. thank you so much for having
0: me yeah. thank you guys everybody for listening you can find me on instagram at real lauren live and my website lauren.live cheers